I am Casey Hunt. Welcome to CNN Tonight. Vice President Harris just visited the site of yesterday's deadly mass shooting in Highland Park, Illinois. Earlier, she called on Congress to renew the assault weapons ban and protect communities across the nation from what she called the terror of gun violence. It was another semi-automatic weapon, similar this time to an AR-15, used to slaughter more innocent Americans. And this time it happened on America's birthday. More than 70 rounds were fired on an Independence Day parade, according to police. just terrifying. Terrifying. We learned that another person died today from wounds suffered in the parade attack, and that brings the total number of dead to seven now, and dozens more are injured. We also learned today that among the dead are 35- and 37-year-old Irina and Kevin McCarthy. They are, or were, Aiden's parents. He is a two-year-old boy. He was found alive after the shooting and was reunited with his grandparents. But now we know that he's an orphan. A GoFundMe page has been created to raise money to support little Aiden. So here we are again in America, after Uvalde, after Buffalo. My God, it goes on and on and on. At least 319 people in the U.S. so far this year, according to the Gun Violence Archive. And it is only July. Only hours after that crowd went running for their lives in Highland Park, So did a crowd of July 4th revelers in Philadelphia when shots rang out, injuring two police officers. Now, thankfully, they're okay. But the Democratic mayor of that city is so fed up with gun violence that he says he can't wait until he's not in his job anymore. This is a gun country. It's crazy. We're the most armed country in world history, and we're one of the least safe. I don't enjoy Fourth of July. I don't enjoy the... the, the Democratic National Convention. I didn't enjoy the the um, um, uh, NFL draft. I'm waiting for something bad to happen all the time. So it's I'll be happy when I'm not here, when I'm not mayor, and I can enjoy some stuff. So you're looking forward to not being mayor? Yeah. Just an awful reality. The horror in Highland Park comes more than two weeks after Congress did finally act in a bipartisan fashion. They did something about gun violence in America. They passed the first major gun safety legislation in decades, and yet here we are again. Earlier today, Mitch McConnell, the top Senate Republican, said that he thinks the bill that just passed, quote, targeted the problem, which he labels as mental health, and young men, quote, inspired to commit atrocities. He didn't mention guns. The number two Democrat in the Senate praises the legislation, but he says it's nowhere near enough. And joining me now, Senate Majority Whip Dick Durbin. He is the senior senator from Illinois, which is, of course, the latest state now mourning after a mass shooting. Uh, Senator, thank you for being with us tonight. Glad to be there. You went, of course, straight to the shooting. As soon as you heard about it, you, like many Americans, were on vacation. Um, These are your constituents. How are they doing? How are you doing? How is this community, just the latest community, so desperately, sadly, doing in the wake of this? Casey, they're still in shock. Think about it. What an amazing American tradition. Fourth of July parade with your kids in a great little town like Highland Park that has a reputation for being a lot of good people and a safest place in the world you could imagine. And then what happens? Another American tradition, the horrible tradition of mass shooting descends on the, on the community and on the parade route. 
uh, sadly now seven people have died and the numbers that were injured have gone up dramatically. This was all transpiring in a matter of a few minutes. People are trying to still work their way through this shock. So, Senator, pulling out the lens a little bit here, this was the 4th of July, the day that we all celebrate America, that we celebrate our freedom and independence. I think a lot of people woke up to this news and just felt completely demoralized. Like, didn't we just do the thing that was supposed to prevent what happened? Didn't you and your colleagues in the Senate just do that? I mean, why did this happen? Why was what you did not enough? Well, I can tell you, I supported it. I want to thank Chris Murphy, uh, John Cornyn, uh, Tom Tillis, Kirsten Cinema. Thanks for putting together a bipartisan bill, the first one in 30 years in Washington. Was it an improvement? Yes. Uh, but did it do enough? No. In my estimation, it didn't touch the basic issue here. The basic issue here is that we are selling firearms and weapons to Americans that are military-grade weapons for killing human beings. Listen to the doctors carefully describe the patients who lost their lives and say that the average person couldn't stand to even see what happened to them. This is not a bullet hole. Many times this is a shredding device, which just kills people in a gruesome, awful way. It was designed for war, and we now have between 10 and 20 million of these AR-15s in America. But what do you say to people? I mean, I think... You can acknowledge, I mean, I have covered Capitol Hill for long enough to know that there is little to zero to no chance something big is going to happen anytime soon beyond what you already did. I mean, how do you how do you look at people and and say, you know, when you go to work every day? I mean, the mayor of Philadelphia said, I don't even want to be mayor anymore. I don't know what to do. There's nothing to be done. I mean, don't you feel frustrated? I mean, what do you say to people who just want to turn their backs on everything that you're doing in Congress? Because clearly it doesn't seem like any of these problems can be fixed. I believe in this country, and I believe that we can solve this problem as we have many others. But it's going to take the will of the people. That's what a democracy is all about. There's an election coming. If this is an important issue, the safety of your family, the safety of your kids in schools, at parades, in uh, any number of different ways we've seen mass shooting, then it's time for you to look for candidates who agree with you and vote for them. Show up in November. That's what a democracy is all about. You want to change America? Do it in the ballot. So speaking of the ballot box, I I want to show you what the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, who, of course, was willing to support the reforms that you just passed, had to say about this shooting today. Take a look. I think yesterday's shooting is another example of what the problem is. The problem is mental health and these young men who seem to be inspired to commit these atrocities. So I think the bill that we passed targeted the problem. So he says he thinks what you've done is essentially enough. One of the things that stuck out to me about the the fact that he was willing to support it at all is exactly what you were talking about, our elections, whether or not people are voting on this issue. Clearly, his support for it was an acknowledgement that people, especially in suburban America, are willing to change their vote on this issue. Do you think he's going to be willing to go farther? Do you think this is going to be something that is going to become so animating that it really actually will put control of the United States Senate on the line? What Senator McConnell said is true, 
mental illness uh, and counseling and trauma experiences are part of this. Uh, it have to be, and they were included in the bill that we passed. But let's get down to the bottom line here. This madman went up on the roof of a building and fired off 70 rounds as fast as in a matter of minutes, killing people in every direction and killing them with lethal ammunition. This is the sort of thing that we've got to take as part of the problem, too. Yes, I blame the gun. In this case, the military weapon that was used turned on these people who were just there with their kids celebrating the 4th of July. Mental illness and, and those aberrant behaviors, as bad as they are, are not going to kill all of those people and injure so many without that gun. There is no place for military assault weapons in America. They belong in the hands of the military. So what do you say to Mitch McConnell? Open your eyes, Mitch. It's going to come to your state, too, if it hasn't already. Innocent people are going to die because people demand the right to own military assault weapons. That just isn't, isn't consistent with any value in America, and I don't believe it's consistent with the Constitution. All right. Senator Dick Durbin, thank you very much for your time tonight, sir. Really appreciate it. And here to discuss with us tonight, former U.S. Senator Doug Jones, former U.S. Congresswoman Barbara Comstock, and editorial writer for the New York Times, Michelle Cottle. Uh, thank you very much for being with us tonight. Um, Senator Jones, let me start with you. I mean, you just heard Senator Durbin tell Mitch McConnell, open your eyes, take a look at what's going, going on. But I think, you know, I've covered Congress long enough right. to know that what's done is done for now. Yeah. Are they going to do anything else? No, I don't think there will be anything this, this time. We're, we're getting too close to the midterms. And quite frankly, the best opportunity was the other day when they did something and they pulled back. There was a lot of talk. They pulled back on it. And, 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 and I agree with, with Dick. I mean, no, I don't want to minimize what passed because it was historic. Yes. But it could have been more. I mean, you know, Casey, you recall, I, I did my maiden speech on gun violence after Parkland. Yeah. That was in 2018. Calling for the same things, red flag laws, boyfriend right. loophole changes. We, we've got to do more, uh, but I, I'm not optimistic. I mean, the thing is just like, it's, it's just, you wake up and you're like, again? I mean, again, we're doing this again? Didn't we just do this? I mean, how many more times does it take? I mean, Congressman Comstock, you are, you're a Republican, but you've become a, a major critic of, of some elements in your party. You represented a district that uh, was a swing area. Um, do you think that they did enough here? Did they do too much? Would you have supported it? I mean, what what are the politics for you? Well, I had, I had supported red flag laws when I was in and, in, in, you know, kind of cracking down on, you know, when, when there were illegal guns and things like that. So my hat's off that there were, actually was finally an agreement right. in the adults in the room, you know, Senator Cornyn, um, you know, Senator Murphy, who they've always worked together well. We had, I did some legislation with them on, um, you know, improving the NICS system and things like that. But now with the bill they passed, I think states can go to work on improving things. I think particularly the red flag laws that can be approved because there certainly were a lot of red flags here. Right. And I think if those need to be tightened, if it needs to be more aggressive on, and in this case, you know, he was a threat to his family and to others, yet he was then allowed to get a gun. I know in Virginia, after the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting, when there were mental health issues there, it was Governor Kane and a Republican legislature that, I think it was Republican then, I wasn't there yet, but came together to improve those, to, to crack down on it beforehand so you never get the gun. So I right. do think there's going to be more opportunities. And I think because those Republicans work together, you have the core of a group 
that hopefully will consider as they get in more information on how this bill is working, where they need to do additional things that they can agree on. Well, Michelle Cottle, I mean, you've argued like this is all, we need to go much further. I mean, when you listen to, to Dick Durbin talk about it, and, and this is the thing that gets me, right? We've obviously, for privacy reasons, never seen pictures of those children who were slaughtered in Uvalde. We haven't seen direct pictures of the wounds that all these doctors have been describing. But when you hear them talk about it, when it's, it's not just, it's not as though, you remember the one doctor talking after Uvalde saying, it used to be I could, I could sew the holes up when I saw the, bu- the bullet wounds, but now there's nothing to sew. I mean, how do we, like, I just, I don't, I don't want to throw my hands up and say, you know, I, I'm out, but I'm, I'm like this close to where the mayor was and saying, like, what good is any of it? Look, you, you do have to fight the impulse to just throw your hands up and surrender. That is always the problem here. The, the people who are willing to go to the mattresses and fight even the most sensible gun laws are never going to give up. They're always going to be out there fighting the fight. So the people who want common sense safety laws, you, you have to stay in there. And you, the, the sad reality of politics, especially in Congress, is that it tends to be these incremental baby steps. Anything that introduces more friction into the free, crazy you flow oh, yeah. of guns <laughs> yeah. is a good thing. But the, also the other reality is that it is going to wind up being the states that have to take even more action. Because, well, you, because you Florida did this. Uh, you know, when, when Rick Scott was exactly. governor, they went further than the bill that was passed. And so I think other states, if you're in another state, you can say, look what Florida did. Let's do more like but when Florida it came time, and then go. When it came to well, them discussing on the federal have, level, yeah. both of the but Florida there's senators. Money and there's things here that state legislators who can get things passed faster yeah, on the but, state basis but, but, too, let's, to let's, really make a difference. Let's be candid. We, we don't see a lot of profiles in courage politically. Uh, That's in, a very gentle anywhere. way to put it, it's, sir. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm talking about state-led. Look, this is, we, we focus so much on talking about changing the laws. And that's important. I mean, uh, clearly, I was a prosecutor. I understand. We've got to do something with the laws. But the fact of the matter is, and I think the mayor really captured it, this is a culture. This is something that goes beyond that. And if we want to get things changed, it's got to come from people. It's got to come from gun owners, gun owners like me who have a a number of guns. I hunt, I shoot, I've done it all my life that say enough is enough and start demanding, you know, that these public officials. I think you could also have, you know, there's what 93 U.S. attorney's offices all around the country. We had a terrorism task force after 9-11. What kind of task forces can we have in each of those offices that now aggressively use this law, you know, this new bill? But then also that the states can then also advance in changing. We need to confirm the ATF director, Steve Dettelbeck. We need to confirm him. But yeah, also, he hasn't had a leader in years. Yeah, hadn't had seven years without okay. a confirmed leader. And we need to get Senator Cotton to kind of release the hold on presidentially appointed. It would also help if you'd stop having members of Congress just turn this into a crazy culture Absolutely. war issue where you have well, them posing with their automatic weapons for yeah. Christmas I think a lot of that and support nut those jobs. A lot of that, right, is like that. they're running for president, right? And they're talking about, and this is what I want to ask you, Senator. I mean, you, you talk about law-abiding gun owners, and I know many. Yeah. I completely understand where you're coming from. But there is a culture around these assault weapons that is distinctly different and much darker, much scarier, much driven, you know, much more driven by the Internet why are Republicans in Congress so afraid of these people? They well, are not the majority of them. No, they're not. I agree with they. They're not. But they, it, it has been built up. They're afraid of primaries. That's the thing. You see it all the time. In Alabama, you're absolutely, it was the most disgusting group of commercials 
I have ever seen with people with their guns, judges with their guns, running for the Alabama Supreme Court, shooting a gun, talking about liberals wouldn't, you know, wouldn't let her put somebody under the Who are the they prison. running against again in I, Alabama anyway? But that aside, that, I take your point. <laughs> but it's good. But, you know, Dick Durbin made an interesting point, though, and it's because it's not always just the gun. It is the ammunition. That's what's causing a lot of the problems that we see here. It is the um, mega stock, you know, um, the clips stocks. that they have, or, sorry, not the bump stuff, yes, but the clips, clips yes. that have 30 rounds to where that guy likely could round off 30 things, pop, an, pop one out, pop another one in. Right. There's a lot of things that you can do without infringing on people's Second Amendment that I think could that make a difference. Lives. That would save lives. Would Absolutely save, lives. save lives. All right, Doug, Barbara, Michelle, please stick around. We have a lot more to talk about tonight. There are big developments in the criminal investigation into Donald Trump's alleged election meddling in Georgia. A U.S. senator, take a guess who, among others in the Trump inner circle, were subpoenaed. Who, why, and what it all might lead to when CNN Tonight returns. The January 6th committee has announced its next hearing. It's set now for next Tuesday, July 12th. Sources close to the investigation tell CNN that one witness that we could soon hear from is Sarah Matthews. She's Trump's former deputy press secretary. She resigned from her position in the hours after the January 6th attack. The scrutiny on Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election is also growing at the state level. In Georgia, a special grand jury has now subpoenaed key members of Trump's inner circle. Among them, Trump's former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham and several former legal advisors for the Trump campaign, including John Eastman, who, of course, laid the groundwork for a fake elector scheme. Jenna Ellis, who has previously pushed debunked election fraud claims. And Cleta Mitchell, who sat in on Trump's infamous call with Georgia's secretary of state, where, of course, he asked him to find 11,780 votes so that he could win the state. The other two people subpoenaed are also Trump attorneys. Doug Jones and Barbara Comstock are back with me. I also want to welcome Jim Schultz to our conversation. You guys are all lawyers, uh, two of you (laughs) Republican lawyers. Um, Thank you uh, for being here. Um, Let me start. um, God, I don't even know where to start. Um, But Senator Jones, let me me start with you on um, Lindsey Graham being subpoenaed. Uh, here at the state level. I mean, I thought that was pretty interesting, partly because I had a number of conversations with Senator Graham in this during this period of time. Um, most of them are off the record. I'm very interested to see what comes out on the record in this. I mean, how unusual is this? Does he have any special protections as a senator? What do you think they want from him? No, I don't think he has any special protections. He's not on the floor. He was making a phone call. There were phone calls, if I recall correctly, uh, made. And I think part of this grand jury is simply uh, the district attorney's efforts to, to get people under oath if they if she can do that. Get them under oath, get them locked in. People tend to change their testimony. People tend to change their stories. As <laughs> Funny how that about, threat yeah. of a felony so, charge can I, hang I, over I, you. I think you that lie. under oath testimony is important. And I think just getting the entire story, what conversations he had. He has no privileges. Uh, has no protections that way. He may challenge the subpoena somehow. But it, I think it's part of the overall getting the bigger picture. Jim Schultz, I mean, what's your what's your view on this round of subpoenas and, and where the Georgia investigation stands? I mean, it's kind of running parallel to what we're seeing here in Washington. I've said it all along. I think the biggest liability for Donald Trump is is the Georgia and the Fulton County investigations ongoing, this special grand jury investigation. And now it's reaching, reaching closer and closer to his inner circle. And as it relates to Senator Graham, I think they're going to know what he, what he 
said, what the conversations he had with former President Trump before he made that phone call. They're going to what prompted the phone call, who else he talked to, what was the purpose for it. They're going to have a lot of questions for him, and he's going to have to answer them under oath if, unless he fights subpoena and successfully beats that. But I, I think you're going to expect the same thing from Rudy Giuliani, but you're, it, clearly they're looking at some type of a conspiracy, racketeering, election fraud case, and they're looking at kind of across state borders. They're trying to use what happened in other states to build their case in Georgia. That's really interesting. I, uh, Congressman Comstock, expanding or bringing us back here to Washington, we expect to hear from Sarah Matthews. I mean, you've been in Republican politics a long time. Um, Sarah Matthews, if, if we hear from her, uh, there was a pretty interesting tweet uh, from her that I think we can show everyone um, uh, that she put up about Cassidy Hutchinson, essentially saying that, that Cassidy Hutchinson uh, was brave and that anybody downplaying uh, her role is trying to discredit her because they're scared. Um, there are a lot of young women uh, stepping up here. What does it say to you that Sarah Matthews may be the next witness? Well, I think you've seen with this committee, uh, the women are leading from uh, Liz Cheney. I also would like to point out that Adam Kinzinger has too, as a Republican <laughs> people who are course. doing this to a great threat. Um, and he's getting threats against his family. But I think Cassidy Hutchinson's uh, testimony was very impressive. And now you're going to have someone who is in the middle of the press office, worked with Kaylee McEnany, was her deputy, who probably on that day, in the days leading into that, was all in the middle of this. Remember, we have all those uh, texts from Mark Meadows back and forth to Fox News when, when Sean Hannity saying, hey, the counsel's office is going to quit. You can't do this. Sean Hannity and Kaylee McEnany were, were talking and texting and, during that time. Well, probably I would imagine Sarah Maxwell, in addition to being able to Matthews. confirm Matthews, uh, I mean, and able to confirm a lot of the um, information that Cassidy Hutchison testified to is going to be able to give additional information about what was going on in a, in a lot of detail. And I think this is coming together very well and, and very seriously because I know when, when I was in my previous life, I was a counsel yeah. on a committee. We did do referrals. And the documentation that we got sometimes was a little ahead of the Justice Department, but it was and sometimes different from what the Justice Department got. But now you're seeing the Justice Department also pick up the ball and they're doing right. things and it's coming together well. And it's not going to just be he said or she said, she said. It's going to be a lot of documentary records. And MVP Under goes oath. to Mark Meadows, who in real time, you see all of those texts that went on that confirm really what these women Text are saying. Text from Mark Meadows. It's like the name of a bad play or something <laughs> like that. Um, you, you mentioned Liz Cheney and we're talking criminal referrals. I, I want to show everyone what she said uh, over the weekend, because, of course, the big question is, whether the January 6th committee is going to make a criminal referral uh, to the Department of Justice at the conclusion of their hearings. Take a look. So the, the committee will or will not make a criminal referral? That... We'll make a decision as a committee about it. So um, it's possible there will be a criminal referral? Which yes. Would... The Justice Department doesn't have to wait for the committee to make a criminal referral. Right. Uh, and there could be more than one criminal referral. So... It... Jim, what do you? What is your take on this? I mean, clearly there's some division in the committee about whether or not to make this referral. But quite frankly, I mean, the, we're going to hear more about the Proud Boys, the extremist groups, those connections perhaps to the White House. If they can prove that, how do they not? No, I, I think they're just holding back at this point. They're not going to show their hand as to what they're going to do. They're going to present a report, and they'll likely make a criminal referral. And I think that's very likely, if not 100%, that they're going to make a criminal referral. I think at this point in time, they haven't turned documents over to the Justice Department. They're going to they're going yeah, to why make, do you think that is? They're going to, because they want to make their own report. They've done their own investigation. They want to complete, mm -hmm. uh, they want to turn over a thorough investigation all at one time over to the Justice Department, give their report to the, to the American people, and then make whatever referrals they feel are appropriate 
which the Justice Department, Department can take up or not. It's up to them. Do you think they should? Oh, I definitely think they should um, make a, both a, a referral, but I also think there should be, um, I, I think there's, I mean, there's evidence there for an indictment. And a trial would have Republican witnesses, Trump Republicans testifying against Donald Trump with an expansive documentary record and texts in real time from the election day and before right. all the way through to January 20th. I'm what do you think? I'm going to take a different view. I don't think they're, they don't, I don't think they need to. I think the Justice Department is moving. I think they're looking mm-hmm. at every aspect of this right now. There's no real authority to do it. It would just be the committees feeling compelled to do it. And quite frankly, we're already seeing the, this, the pushback from Republicans across the country. Well, I say pushback. There's a lot of crickets out there, too. Nobody's, there's a lot of people Nobody, just nobody's talking about Nobody's contradicting this. her. They, the, their whole defense team is disappeared. But if, they, if this committee starts making a referral against Donald Trump, particularly, I think it, 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 they will be accused of being more partisan. When they do not have to, it's a legislative body. They're going to put the evidence out there. Jim's right. They're going to do a report. They're going to connect the dots, put the pieces of the puzzle together. However analogy you want to look at it, the Justice Department is doing their job. And I think they put that report out. They can make conclusions. They can come to these conclusions. But let the Justice Department do their job. Well, there's a lot of... um it's potentially politically explosive for yeah, them to do something no like this, and there's potentially no some risks there. All right. Jim, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Really appreciate your insights. Barbara and Doug, please stick around with us. Ahead here, a dark window into what it is like to be a Republican member of the January 6th committee. Now, if you naturally die as quickly as possible, you piece of shit. Congressman Adam Kinzinger shares a slice, just a slice, of the violent threats that he's been getting. They are incredibly hard to listen to, but they are so important to hear. We're going to shine a light next. The ugly, violent threats against Republican members who sit on the January 6th committee seem to only be getting uglier. Today, Congressman Adam Kinzinger shared just a few of the recent calls and voicemails that his office received, including one that threatened his wife and his newborn baby. We will not be playing the entire three-minute clip for you. You can find it on Twitter. But it is important that you hear some of the level of vitriol that these members are facing simply for standing up to Donald Trump. We want to give you a warning. What you're about to hear is extraordinarily graphic and very disturbing. I guess I can't say a whole lot more other than I'll you naturally die as quickly as possible, you piece of shit. You backstabbing son of a bitch. Go against Trump. Y'all know y'all motherfuckers sitting up there alive like a damn dog. Go get your wife. Go get your kids. We're going to get you. Coming to your house, son. Gonna get you and Liz Cheney. Gonna get you two little suckers. <laughs> this is, of course, not the first time that Adam Kinzinger has received violent threats. It was just last month that he received a letter at his home threatening to execute him and his family. The very same online platforms that helped fuel the lies that led to the insurrection are also, in many instances, fueling this dangerous rhetoric. A new analysis shared with CNN by the nonprofit Advanced Democracy 
showed that many users on these right-wing platforms are openly calling for Liz Cheney to be executed. One post on Trump's Truth Social platform referenced Cheney with the hashtag MGGA, as in, ooh, make guillotines great again. That's where we are. And if there is any doubt that political violence and threats have become the new normal, consider this. Threats against members of Congress are up 144% from where they were five years ago. The Capitol Police investigated nearly 10,000 cases last year alone. It is prompting grave warnings like this. Somebody is going to get hurt. Um, somebody is going to get killed. The kind of garbage that is getting left on Adam Kinziger's voicemail is a complete betrayal of generations of people who have fought for the civility and the understanding and the fellow feeling, which, without which our democracy is over. Whatever happens, we can't say that we weren't warned. Mitt Romney, another Republican who often speaks out on behalf of democracy, has a warning for all of us. He thinks we are a nation in deep denial and that we're dismissing threats that could prove cataclysmic. We'll go deeper tonight when CNN Tonight returns. So, all in all, if there is a theme tonight, it's that Americans are fed up. Tired of mass shootings, more than tired. Angry over election lies. Worried, in many cases, about their constitutional rights. We showed you the numbers. Most Americans say that we are on the wrong track, as in like 90% of Americans. They distrust our institutions. It's a problem. So what are our leaders doing? Senator Mitt Romney says that we're in denial. In his new op-ed in The Atlantic, he bemoans the dismissal of potentially cataclysmic threats. He names inflation and climate change, among other things. And he writes, quote, President Joe Biden is a genuinely good man, but he has yet been unable to break through our national malady of denial, deceit, and distrust. A return of Donald Trump would feed the sickness, probably rendering it incurable. Doug Jones, Barbara Comstock, and Michelle Cottle are back with me as a uh, former Romney campaign reporter. That language is extraordinarily Mitt Romney in that op-ed. Um, but Senator Jones, I, I, I mean, he says, okay, Joe Biden is, is a good man, but, you know, everyone's unhappy. The country is going in the wrong direction. People are unhappy for a lot of different reasons, um, but it's a pretty universal feeling. You're right. very close to Joe Biden. I know that you are uh, you know, basically an eternal supporter of his. But, you know, some of these quotes, you know, are pretty tough against him. I mean, we had, you know, one Democrat told CNN that the presidency's rudderless. There are concerns about basic management in the White House. And, and quite frankly, that potentially opens up a path for Donald Trump to return. Sure. I mean, how do you prevent that? Well, I, I don't know if you can, but I will tell Democrats I'm tired of listening to that kind of crap. I mean, Look, but this, why, well, then how do we fix it? Well, <laughs> the, some people need to understand, at least in the Democratic Party, that if they want to have any success in the midterms, if they want to have any success in 2024, this president has got to have some success. And he has had some success. He has created a lot of jobs. We've got issues with inflation, but he's got a plan. The only plan that I have seen to counter that is Rick Scott's plan to, to tax people under $50,000, making $50,000 or less. He's got our allies at the table. I think he table, finally removed that after yeah. some, <laughs> after well, some okay. from Mitch McConnell. Then he but has no in. plan. Then he, then he has no plan. And the fact is, you know, I, it was interesting the other day, I saw a political article 
about uh, the abortion issue and Republicans, uh, the dog that co caught the car. And a former member of Congress, Republican member of Congress, was quoted as saying that, you know, we had everything going for us. Gasoline was at $5 a gallon. Inflation was at all the high. It was all going our way. And then the abortion. What that tells you is that there's so many people sitting up there on that hill don't right. care about the American people. They care about the politics of it. And that's frightening. Well, I mean, Barbara Comstock, you're a Republican. I don't imagine you... a former Romney staffer. So exactly. I'm very proud to see the elder statesman <laughs> actually playing a grown-up role, which is really what he's talking about. We need to have more grown-ups here, which is what they did with the gun bill and a compromise. And what we need to do with so many of these issues where people just want to have an issue to run on and the consultants want to spend the money on it, but they don't want to have a solution. So I think what he's calling for is to have people who will be more oriented uh, towards so does, solutions so instead of this him? performative. No, I think he's playing the elder statesman role. I do not think that we need or should or will have Donald Trump or Joe Biden on the ticket in 2024. I think it's time for a new generation of leadership to have new voices that sure. get, we move past but realistically, all of this. I mean, realistically, I realistically <laughs> not, both of them are very unpopular. And this idea that we're, I mean, nothing would depress America more, I think, than to have a rerun of the 2020 election. We have plenty of people out there in both parties that could come up with a lot more ideas than need to. Their but, time is up. They need to move on. Give them the ring and send them home and give us new leadership. But Michelle Cottle, I mean, realistically, that's like not likely to happen. I mean, we likely are going to face Joe Biden, potentially have Joe Biden, just a straight up rematch in 2024. I mean, Trump is talking about running again already. Uh, the president's team seems to spend an awful lot of time, with all due well, respect, they spend, they want, <laughs> Doug Jones, well, <laughs> talking Trump about how he's running again. spend his money, you know. Right, right. And so he has that money. But I think Ron DeSantis is already coming up and, and sitting and, and, on 100 million, 111 exactly. million dollars. Exactly. Yeah, Jeb Bush did too. Jeb Bush yeah. had 100 million at, at this point too. Yeah. Well, everybody's but, trying to be so careful with Trump. You don't want to get him upset. I mean, Ron DeSantis is trying to be very delicate as he's approaching 2024 because you don't want to draw fire. But he's not asking for an endorsement. It's, right. So yeah, that's what he's actually like, offering. Hey, raising nice to see money, you, dude. Like, I don't need you anymore. Maniac Trump, <laughs> accommodating Trump donors or, you know, kind of feeling their way toward DeSantis. I mean, Trump's not going to see the stage gracefully. Somebody's going to have to find a way to make clear that his moment is over. But you can't expect him to come to this kind of realization on his own. The man lacks that kind of self-awareness. Well, but it also, <laughs> yes. I think you're Final not thought. going to have someone in a leader in either party who waits around and is holding someone else's coat. You're going to have to get in there and stand on your own two feet. And people want a leader that isn't waiting for approval from Donald Trump or for some other person, but will just come in and say, I have a vision for this country and I need to get us out of this morass. Well, if, if there isn't These someone that can do that, they're going the to lose to Donald Trump, right? They're going to just straight up. <laughs> no, right. no. I, I think <laughs> maybe in the Republican primary. That's what I mean. Not, in the Republican primary. In the I, don't, I don't mean in the general election. Look, look this is a great conversation. Stick around. We're going to continue <laughs> uh, with this conversation because we've got a lot more up on the other side with these three. When Santa and Tonight continues next. Mitt Romney told me a few months ago pretty bluntly that he was not planning on running for president in 2024. But Liz Cheney is playing it coy. I haven't made a decision about that yet. And um, I'm, I'm obviously very focused on my reelection. I'm very focused on the January 6th committee. I'm very focused on 
my obligations to do the job that I have now. And uh, I'll make a decision about 24 down the road. All right. Back with me now, Doug Jones, Barbara Comstock, and Michelle Cottle. Uh, Barbara Comstock, what do you make of that answer? Well, I think Liz, Liz's future is bright. I think she's going to be vindicated. And I, I think if she makes that choice, I mean, I'd be happy to support her on that. But I think the important thing now is that Donald Trump is getting in the rearview mirror. You already have Ron DeSantis clearly running for president, a lot of other people lining up. And I think he is going to, there's going to be enough Republicans that just sort of click over a little bit, even if they don't, you know, go so far as to support an anti-Trump person, but just someone who doesn't talk about Trump or bend the knee for Trump. I think there's going to be a wide variety of choices and Donald Trump will not get the nomination because he right. lost the House, lost so the Senate, I, I lost Georgia. I got to push loser. back on. Uh, fair enough. Loser. Fair enough. But here's the, the thing: if there are too many people in the Republican primary, right? This is what happened last time. They'll there's, split the Trump vote. <laughs> I, I don't Trump? buy that. I mean, there's, there, Trump has a chunk of the party, right? It's like 30 percent. And he's not in the rearview mirror in Alabama or Pennsylvania. And, oh, his and, candidate law, Mo Brooks, got no, no, blown no. away. No, no, no. He flipped that. And, and, yeah, and everybody was just yeah. Trump, Trump, Trump in Alabama. Look at what happened in Pennsylvania. I don't think he's in the rearview mirror. He's not in the rearview mirror yet. That's wishful thinking at this (laughs) point. The the base is still enamored of him, and Trumpism is still strong. So even if you have candidates who aren't Trump, you'll have candidates who are running on Trumpism as well. So Republicans understand there's enough of them that will never vote for him, right? Who, if he only had 47%, let's just take 5% off that. You're down to 42%. But if he beats them one at a time in a Republican primary, then you pick a loser in 2016. Okay, fine. Yeah. But Which if, is he's, if he is do. the Republican nominee and say he runs again, I mean, who who knows who he ends up running against, whether it's Joe Biden or someone else. Doug Jones, what does Liz Cheney do? I mean, she told me when she lost her, the day she lost her leadership post, she told me she'd be willing to do whatever it took to prevent Donald Trump from getting back into There's the Oval Office. And there like is that. a very serious <laughs> risk if he is the Republican nominee again, that he actually wins despite all of the sure. potential headwinds. So what, what does or should a Liz Cheney do in that situation? Well, I mean, does she run as an independent? I think she's got to win. I think she's. It's going to tell a lot what happens in Wyoming. I think she's. I think they think they're going to lose. That may very well be. You know, she would not go out as a loser. Donald Trump is a loser, and she could mm-hmm. parlay that. I think. I, I agree. I think she's got a future. I'm just not so sure that it's in 2022 or 2024. I think it's going to take. Frankly, I think it's going to take a lot longer. For this MAGA faction. But the, but the other problem is that Trump would just be one term. And so when you have a damaged but, Joe Biden, if no, he but, stays but, on the but, ticket, why not pick a Republican who can be two terms instead of a sore? Well, no, don't, I mean, don't you know, Barbara, he's just going to come in and lift that whole two-term limit. Yeah. It's, it's, he's not worried but about that. Not, Trump's going to do we're that. We're not part. talking about just Donald Trump. Let me tell you this. The, the MAGA faction of that party is, be, is bigger than Donald Trump right now. You look what happened in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You look what happened around in other but states. But what if, what if they lose than... the governorship in Pennsylvania? What if they, that, that's another thing. When Trump candidates start losing winnable races, that's also going to be a factor then, in what happens then in the all of us, then, then what will have happened is that Democrats have had convinced people, independents and moderate Republicans, that this democracy is it's more important, important than your party. And, 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 and there's that's a lot of us who feel Democrats. that way, which is why exactly. Donald Trump but is a are, sure are loser there enough, like, on the ticket. Are there well, not, he already lost. There are, but what <laughs> I'm saying is there are so many egos in the Republican Party. What happened in 2016 <laughs> was that the egos could not get out of the way 
to actually, I mean, Scott Walker got up there and said, hey guys, look what's happening, get out of the race, and nobody did. But nobody thought it was possible in 2016. I mean, the man was a joke. He's still kind of a joke. He's just a dangerous joke because he was president of the United States. I mean, no one thought. He didn't even think he was going to win in 2016. So everybody sat home and like, "Ah, I'm not going to get involved. Now they know just how ugly and dangerous it can get. So I don't think you run into quite the same problem. I think think the real risk here is that the people that we need to be voting are tuning out of our political process right now. They are the people who see well, nothing would what's turn gone them on. out more for Donald Trump got the highest. I mean, yeah, you no, have more I agree. People I agree. And unfortunately, we're, we are team. about out of time here. <laughs> uh, but this is going to be one of the key things, I think, going forward. Doug Jones, Barbara Constock, Michelle Cottle. Thank you all very much for our conversation tonight. That's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you for being with us. Don Lemon tonight starts right now with Laura Coates filling in for Don. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.